1: And without further ado, let's begin. So I'll preface this story by saying that I live in a small town in the Midwest of about maybe 300 people, or basically in the middle of nowhere though. I can remember my mother telling a story too when I was younger that has stuck with me since. My father was an over the road truck driver, so he wasn't around much. That left my mother to pretty much raise my little brother, little sister, and me on her own. And one night she was awoken by a bright light shining through her bedroom window. She said that it was as if someone had parked their car and directly turned their bright headlights on, pointed toward her bedroom window. Her first instinct was to get up and check on us kids. She had noticed though that the bright light wasn't confined to her bedroom as it was shining through every window in our house pretty much and she saw that I was accounted for as was my little sister but she couldn't find my little brother who was about three at the time. She was scouring the house and finally sees him in our laundry room opening the back door that leads to our backyard and as soon as he opens the door the brilliant light shines in and then she just remembers waking up. She's accepting this as all just a bit of a weird dream when her eyes begin to focus on the dark of her bedroom and she sees a small figure at the foot of her bed. As she sits up to see what exactly it is, it scampers off into the darkness of her house and then she wakes up again. It's a dream in a dream, she keeps telling herself that anyway, and later that day she's hanging up the laundry and conversing with a neighbor woman who asks her a question. Hey I know that this is going to sound like a really strange question but did you guys have party lights on last night or something? Uh, no why? My mother replies. Our neighbor goes on to tell her that she and her husband had a disagreement the day before and she decided to sleep in her son's room and at about 3am she was woken up by a bright light emanating from around our house. Fast forward to a few years ago, and I own our old house and have children of my own, and to preface this next story, I should mention too that our house is set overlooking the town cemetery. Now one evening after returning home, I'm carrying my younger son into the house. I thought that he was asleep when all of a sudden he starts wailing and screaming while pointing across the graveyard. Daddy, get inside, they're coming after us, they're going to take us, the green skeleton men are going to take us. So... This obviously freaks me out a bit and I try to turn and see if there's anything that he's actually seeing. I don't see anything but he just continues losing it. Once inside he's still hysterical, wants me to lock the door and shut the shades. He absolutely refused to let me go out and get the groceries and it was bizarre to say the least. Later that week he has another spell, it's about two in the morning when I hear him crying and yelling for me I rush into his room and he's crying begging me not to let them take me again. I kind of write this off as a nightmare but I ask him where they are trying to take him and he replies with where the bad power rangers are. I proceed to ask him where the bad power rangers are and he replies a spaceship. Now I don't know if it was just the imagination of a four-year-old or if it was his mind trying to rationalize an actual traumatizing event. But I can't help but assume the two are connected. And it's the worst feeling in the world trying to protect your child from a monster that you don't even know may exist. Fast forward again though to this week. I started a paranormal conspiracy podcast earlier this year where we talk about creepy stuff and have listeners call in and some experiences and such. And well I got this email this week from the son of our neighbour that saw the light over our house that night this is what it says. The incident involving AJ and I went like this. I know it was the early 90s because I was in my 70s Chevelle. Somewhere between St. Mary's Church and where our shop is now, I was driving us home around 9 at night, no other traffic anywhere. Shortly before the highway curves left, the most intense bright white light appeared out of nowhere. It was like a flashlight being held against my eyes. Oddly enough, as blinding as it was, I could make out the outline of what I assumed was a a man about my height. The first instinct was to jam on the brakes and as soon as I did, the light was just gone. The car had died and all the lights inside and outside weren't functioning. After a few seconds, the lights came on and the car started again though. AJ wouldn't even answer me when I asked him what we hit, no damage and I couldn't find anything anywhere. I drove to mum and dad's and AJ begged me to not get out of the car. He never mentioned it on the highway but now insisted that I stay in the car. I went in and got mum and told her everything. She went to talk to AJ and he told the same story but refused to exit the car. He told her that whatever we saw was still hiding under the car somewhere and my wife's question was, did this happen around the same time as the lights at your mum's house? and that was the end of the email. His incident took place no more than a mile or so from our house and possibly the same or similar time as to the lights over the house incident which is really weird and so I can't help but think that they're all related and I wonder about how our small town may have piqued something's interest so much like that. Do you guys have any idea about what might be going on here? This took place when I was fairly young. I can't exactly pinpoint an age because this was a more persistent phenomenon that went on for quite a while. Roughly though from when I was maybe 5 to 10 years old I would guess. I lived in a smaller community at the time and there was a river that my group of friends used to play near to and several other bodies of water, mainly small streams and ponds and stuff like that. But we also often played in a nearby forest as as kids do I suppose. We were in groups of eight at most and maybe two or three at least. We did typical kid stuff and grew pretty familiar with the part of the forest that we played in. Now, I have some very vivid memories spanning from almost as long as I can remember to when my family moved away about someone calling my name. This was especially often when I was with a smaller group of friends. The voices were sometimes my parents or neighbors or someone I didn't recognize, but they were definitely adult voices, if that makes sense. For instance, I would hear my dad calling my name several times, even though he was at work. Sometimes it was in another country, in fact. My house is definitely out of earshot too from the area that I played in, and my mum was often preoccupied with looking after my sister or her work. And the point is, is that she definitely wasn't the one calling me either. I was a really obedient child as well, a bit of a goody two-shoes I suppose. I would usually always obey when adults told me to do something or come to them when they called me. And it definitely sounded as if these voices were trying to lure me away from my group. My friends said that they never heard the voices when I asked, so I stuck to the group and continued whatever game that we were playing. This would usually happen in the forest, but sometimes also when we played near the river as well. And the voices just came from directions that never really made sense. Deeper into the woods, closer to the river, away from my house, away from my group. They never did say anything but my name, even when I called back to them. I rarely ever went to this place alone, but sometimes I'd feel like I was just being watched, even though nobody was there. Sometimes I got the urge to run away out of the forest and I never ignored it, just dropped everything and started running. I don't know how relevant this information is too but I know that a young boy drowned in that river that we used to play at in the time frame this phenomenon happened to me. I realize that this all sounds a bit silly and just something that kids do or imagine but I used to see things a lot as a kid as well but mostly when I was really young My parents said I'd often come to them and speak about angels or fairies or something that I met in the tall grass or near the woods. They sometimes heard me talking to thin air as kids do I suppose. I definitely did not have an imaginary friend but I do have vague memories of seeing these things too. Sometimes they scared me but a lot of the time they didn't. The voices in the forest also didn't sound scary every time but they always weirded me out because I didn't know what kept calling me. This phenomenon though had stopped after my family moved and I stopped playing in those woods, which is really strange. But I recently went back to the area for nostalgia's sake, and I didn't hear the voices, but for some reason the place just gave me a massive headache, and my friend and I went back earlier than planned. There was still this area that really creeped me out as well, as kids we called it the dark side, cringy I know, but we were very little, and it was a part of the forest that we never really entered. I remember too that I always just walked around it as a kid. But anyway, what do you guys think about all this? Do you think that something was actually calling my name from the forest, or is it all just in my head?
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's dot I.com.
1: Years ago, when I was just becoming a teenager, my mum's half sister, my aunt, her husband, my uncle, and their five year old daughter, my cousin, had moved into my aunt's mum's house due to financial issues. My aunt's mum was dating someone at the time, so she had moved out and allowed my aunt, uncle, and cousin to move in with no problems. The house was small and kind of creepy but it was big enough to house their family and it was a very short distance from my house so we got to see them quite often. However, the place was creepy as I said. Something about it just gave younger me the chills any anytime that I stepped foot in there. The upstairs didn't have much access to natural light but it was the only area with the bedrooms for my cousin so she had her bedroom and a playroom on the second floor. The first floor was very long but not very wide so you basically passed through every room to either get to the living room, the sunroom or my aunt and uncle's bedroom on the other side of the house. But the basement, the basement was terrifying. It was extremely dark and often very musty. It had one little window and then only one measly little light to illuminate the area. Supposedly too there was a cat down there that they kept and fed. Although, I never actually saw said cat. Knowing a general layout of the house is important for this story though and you'll understand why in a minute. So, what I was unaware of though is that the house was originally owned by a lady that was a caretaker of sick young kids with Down syndrome. Don't ask me how or why she took up that role but she did and of course, oftentimes, if the kids couldn't shake the sickness, they would sometimes die in the house. There was never a clear record to my understanding, but it was confirmed that at least three kids had passed away due to illness in this home. This didn't pose as a problem to my aunt and uncle, though, and they lived there for a couple of months with no issues. Until one day when just all hell broke loose. So my aunt and uncle enjoyed watching paranormal shows, even if they were seemingly completely fake. They just enjoyed seeing people venture into the unknown, However, I and my family believe now that it may have opened a a portal of sorts in the house for some sort of restless spirit or something. Now, one afternoon, my cousin was homeschooled her whole life. My aunt was watching TV and my cousin was behind the couch in an open area between the sunroom and the living room, playing with some of her toys and a little soccer ball. When all of a sudden, she exclaimed, hey, give me back my ball!" Knowing that there was nobody else in the house at the time my aunt looked over the couch to my cousin and questioned who she was talking to and what my cousin said next gives me cold chills every time I think about it. Take into consideration too that she's young and she's unaware of the previous history of the house. She responded to my aunt though that that boy he took my ball to which my aunt asked what boy? and my cousin responded, but that little boy sitting there, don't you see him? He has a weird looking face. Immediately, my aunt knew what she was referring to. This boy with this weird face could probably only be described as one of the kids with Down syndrome that had passed away in this house. Terrified of the situation that she was in now, my aunt calmly told my cousin, it's okay, just be nice to him and politely ask for your ball back if you're going to play with it. She told my uncle when he came home from work that night and they definitely became a little bit uneasy of the fact that there were possibly restless spirits appearing to my cousin. A little time passed though and no other new encounter seemed to be occurring or at least my cousin wasn't vocal about them anyway. So out of curiosity one day my aunt asked my cousin what happened to that little boy and I kid you not my cousin very nonchalantly said him and two of his friends visit me every night after you and daddy put me to bed they get mad and tell me to stop talking about them i tried hiding from them but they just stand and stare until i go to sleep now of course my aunt is terrified these things are suppressing my cousin from even speaking about them now so my aunt asks do his friends look weird like he does to which my cousin replied yeah but i'm not allowed to talk about the mummy Needless to say, after my aunt told my uncle about this interaction, they became very proactive about finding another place to live due to just fear. But these spirits had one more encounter planned, and they were eager to show their dissatisfaction apparently with my aunt and uncle's choice to remove their playmate from their home. So it was late one night. My aunt's mum had a Harley Davidson that she stored in the basement of the house, but she had taken it earlier that day and rode it to her boyfriend's house. At around 1 a.m. that night, my aunt thought that she heard the motorcycle downstairs, which was odd seeing that it was obviously so late that there was no way that her mum would be bringing home the bike or anything. But it continued and the sound didn't go away. Finally, she woke up my uncle and they called her mum. When her mum answered they asked her if she was in the basement with her motorcycle and she was very puzzled as she was still in another county over with her boyfriend. So they ended their call and my aunt and uncle went to investigate. And no sooner that they reached that little door that led to the basement which was dead bolted by the way, cold chills just shot down their spines and they both swore that they heard whispers coming from the door. Terrified but in need of answers, they slowly crept over closer to the door and then it began violently jolting, nearly breaking the deadbolt off the wall. They jumped back and ran and grabbed my cousin and drove to my pawpaw's house, my aunt and my mum's dad, and stayed there the rest of the night. Soon after that, they moved to another state and we still stay in touch today. The house is currently up for auction and man, do I pity the person who purchases it? My aunt and uncle will not get involved with anything close to the paranormal anymore and my cousin doesn't remember anything. But it was a strange house, for sure. These events happened over several months in 2016 when me and my sister, then 16 and 14, first moved into our most recent apartment complex with our mother admittedly we were still into the hoverboard craze then and we would ride them around and this is how we met savannah she was our age and lived in our building she asked to hang out and we were happy to hopefully make new friends so we said yes we hung out outside the complex at a little park area it got dark and we started making up ghost stories turns out she really liked creepy paranormal stuff like we did I know too that I did not actually believe in this stuff and still don't. Every time I reference the paranormal it's just hyperbole. But as we were walking home the lights in one of the apartment hallways flickered and I joked and said it was a spirit trying to communicate with us. Savannah made up a flash once for yes, twice for no system to communicate with spirits and we messed around a bit and we thought it was just harmless fun. The next day she runs over to us excited she informs us that the spirit that we had met last night told her its name was Kirin, and that it meant light so it all made perfect sense now we asked her how she knew this and she said that she went back later that night alone to talk to it this was the first time it occurred to us that she might have really believed in this stuff now our aunt had actually given us an old Ouija board as a joke that year before and we thought Savannah might like it. Savannah lit up and said that she wanted to try and talk to Kieran so we eventually huddled in the hallway connecting the apartments and put our hands on the board but we kept getting random letters that just didn't make any sense but soon Savannah's questions were directed to Kieran. We felt her moving the planchette and called her out but she got mad and said that she'd prove it. She took her hand off of the planchette and it no longer moved she just huffed and insisted that it wasn't her and over the next few weeks we did mostly normal stuff with her but she just kept talking about the ghosts and the ouija boards until we broke down and just played it again this time we were introduced to a new ghost evan but we knew that it was savannah moving the planchette but we were curious about the story that she was making so we let her follow through evan was a ghost or demon rather about our age who wanted freedom from a greater demon controlling him that greater demon's name was kieran savannah's parents called her inside and conveniently evan had to go too he told us that he'd protect us against kieran especially savannah and savannah commented on how cute that was for him to offer that a few days go by normally but then savannah's back to tell us that she actually has a boyfriend but we're happy for her, honestly, until she tells us that his name is Evan. We're wondering what she's talking about and she explains that while sleeping over at another friend's house, something had tugged off her shorts while she slept. She'd woken up and heard Evan's voice, then he'd visit her in her dreams and asked a date or something like that. She said yes of course and we know that she made up Evan so we're kind of like what's wrong with you and we don't talk about the demon stuff anymore after that. Now Savannah was extremely possessive over her friends, when she'd see us with someone else she'd text us non-stop about why we hadn't invited her, we tried to keep our distance but she lived on the ground floor and literally watched out a window waiting for us to come outside. She’d honestly just latched herself onto us and we didn’t know much about her home life, but she always seemed troubled. She had scars on her wrists and talked about running away from home. Her parents seemed all right from the outside, if rather strict and religious. We still hung out with her because we were worried, but but we started feeling weird about it. Worse too, is that she’d randomly just show up holding her hand out, saying Evan was holding her hand. She'd look at random things and laugh when no one was talking because Evan had told her a joke. Once she made us feel her cheek where it was supposedly warm from Evan kissing her and I can assure you that it wasn't. One day, my sister and I were bored from her talking to Evan on the Ouija board. She was still controlling the whole thing and wanted some fun. I texted my mum to call my phone from a blocked number and play creepy sounds. Looking back, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever done, but at the time it was just for fun. So my mum made the call and I put it on speaker. Savannah is living for it, especially when my mum played a track from a scary movie about a ghost. My mum took it a step further though and threw a banana off the third story balcony for us to see. And Savannah said that it was a sign that Kieran was winning. But boy, we had no idea of the fire that this would light in her. We really were about to tell her that it was a prank, but again, her mum called her inside. She found us again the next day, and I came clean about the prank. She laughed and said that there was no way that we could have done that. I said, no, my mum literally did all of it. And well, Savannah had told her friend about it, who'd told her that yellow objects, like the banana, were a sign of the devil, and seeing them meant the devil was hunting you. And this was all she ever talked about for a while, but since nothing else happened, she gradually forgot. Things went back to normal for a while until Autumn moved in. Autumn and Savannah connected instantly because of their history with depression. Autumn was a few years younger than us, but she had a much worse upbringing than any of us did. This included significant time spent in psychiatric facilities and violence toward her classmates and family and everything. And Autumn claimed that she heard demons talk to her at night. And just like that, the ghost stuff had started again. Interestingly though, Savannah felt threatened by Autumn and she felt the need to one-up her with ghost stuff all the time. She told her that Evan was a ghost brother that looked out for her. I was like, hold on, you claimed he was your boyfriend. She giggled and said, that's gross, he's my brother. Her story had completely switched and now she was dating another demon named Jacob or something and they were engaged. Honestly, you can't make this stuff up. She even showed us a ring to prove it and the next week or so was literally like a match between them to see who the darkest one was and who the one most involved in the spiritual world or whatever was and they'd compare scars on their wrists and brag about cutting themselves and doing things like sneaking out at night in a move to one-up autumn though savannah drew a giant pentagram in the parking lot with chalk her parents found out and she backed out and blamed it on autumn and the next day people came to repave the parking lot and the pentagram is now buried under it forever literally Savannah eventually moved on to saying that her friend had found Jacob's body and was going to put his spirit back inside of it. Savannah continued to take advice from this friend who fueled everything that she did. Savannah now said that the friend was teaching her witchcraft and it was at this point that we mostly avoided her. But she'd always ask us to do things like make holy water with her and try and summon her a familiar or something. From that point on though, she insisted that she was a fire witch and walked around wearing all black with Halloween-like makeup on her face. She and Autumn frequently snuck out together and occasionally we would see cop cars at her house. Now, my sister and I were avoiding both of them, but we'd get fiery texts from both of them if we hung out with other people, especially our guy friends. Once, they actually saw us get home and stood in the parking lot pretending to be possessed. Autumn also cut off all of her hair and claimed to have tried to kill her teacher. My sister and I knew that it was a lie, or at least we hoped, but Savannah took it really seriously. She'd go around telling neighbours of terrible crimes that she committed or wanted to commit. She even told us that when she'd first seen us outside with the hoverboards that she'd wished for them to just blow up. Now One day, we saw the police come to her door and the officers had jackets that said that they were from the juvenile justice department. Her mum pulled me, my sister and our mum outside to explain what was going on. Because apparently two years ago, they discovered Savannah talking with a man online. And her messages to him were hiring him to come and literally kill her parents after making threats of killing them a few days before. And we were able to confirm the story after pet sitting for them and finding court papers about it. We'd known that she was on probation, but she'd always tell us different stories as to why. Savannah continued to beg us to hang out with her after that, even inviting herself to spend the night. We would avoid her at all costs, but she would just follow us everywhere. It kind of died down when Order moved out, thankfully, and Savannah moved with her family shortly after this too. Since then, she started doing service hours at horse stables and graduated high school as well. I really hope that she's gotten happier and more stable after that. Autumn actually messaged my sister a few months ago, asking to call her mum to confirm that she was with us. She wasn't. And we later saw her with a 19-year-old dude. She's 14 now. Me and my sister and my mum have moved on as well because there were just way too many incidences in those apartments. And thankfully, I can report that our new place is really quiet and really peaceful. This all occurred when I was six years old. My grandmother lives on basically a huge farm and she grows coffee and other plants and has cattle, etc. If you don't have a jeep or some sort of off-road vehicle, it's really tough, if not impossible, to make it up to her place as it's surrounded by thick rainforest and most people use horses or motorcycles on the trail. Typically, we had a jeep that we would be able to drive all the way up there, but it was getting repaired, I think, or someone else was using it or something, and we had to take a cab there to visit. It was around midday and the cab dropped us off where the paved road ended. It was about a mile and a half walk to my grandma's place, and we'd walked this plenty of times in the past. There were homes along the trail, but they were far and few between. I was with my parents and little sister, two years younger at the time, and nothing eventful really happened. It was a bright summer day, pretty hot, but the forest shade helped, and I remember playing with one of my favorite toys, it was the Green Ranger that you could push a button and his head would switch from this normal head to this helmet. And anyway, I was playing with it as we walked along the trail, we then arrived to a small stream, my parents are easily able to jump over it and keep walking. they look behind them and I can see them watching me to try to make the jump just sort of smiling at me. I do make the jump but drop my toy in the process and it gets picked up by the stream so I immediately start following after it. I can hear my parents yelling for me but I'm too focused on catching my toy and this next bit I still remember vividly to this day. All of a sudden I'm like in this field with very tall grass. It's surrounded by trees The one thing that I notice is that it's eerily quiet. I should mention too that this is a Central American forest and it is never quiet. There are always hundreds of birds and monkeys and other small animals everywhere. At the time I didn't think anything of it but then I hear something weird. Like chirping and I see small tiny orbs in the tall grass. I'm not afraid of them, more like intrigued I guess. They're amongst the grass like the way that you would see animal's eyes, but they're sort of weightless and floating. I start walking towards them, but then I get scared and run away towards the forest. I remember getting sleepy as I fell against a tree trunk, and the next bit I won't go into much detail on it, as it's just things my parents have told me, but also I don't want to be doxxed. But... But where i live my dad's side of the family is pretty important with big ties to the government senators judges military etc and my dad reached out to his brother who was the chief of the police and his brother-in-law who was a general and they basically had a huge search for me using police and military assets about a thousand people total combing through the jungle dogs and helicopters the works They actually found a few bodies in the process, believe it or not, that had stab or gunshot wounds, most likely gang members, and, long story short, I was missing for two days, and the next thing that I remember is waking up in the back of a bus, the bus driver waking me up and asking if I was okay. I immediately start crying and asking for my mum. Luckily, too, my mum actually had me memorize our home number, so they call and i get picked up police investigate thinking that it may have been a kidnapping attempt they think once they found out who was kidnapped they must have put me on a bus i tell them my story and a few of them think that something else took me the thing that they think that took me is something that a lot of people believe where i live especially people out in the fields It's less believed in the major cities, but they're basically described like small people who kidnap children, kill livestock, or ruin crops and whatnot. Basically, mischievous little things. And a telltale sign of them being present is seeing small floating lights in trees or amongst tall grass. People say it's their lanterns that they carry, but who knows. Some of my older cousin kids said that it was Lorona who took me, but got tired of me and dumped me on a bus. <laughs> Who knows, really, but it was a strange one to say the least. So, this happened almost a year ago now when I still lived in my apartment complex, which was in a nice area but seemed to attract the weirdest people. Basically, I live at home with my mum and my younger sister to attend college. There was a neighbor in the building across from mine, an older single woman named Susan. When me and my sister moved in, we'd hang out near her building with a former friend. She's worthy of her own story, to be honest. And so we developed a rapport with Susan. We'd bring her tea when she was sick and walk her dog, and I was next door neighbors with a different woman called Laura as well. Laura is a mother of two young kids and she and her boyfriend like to sit on their balcony overlooking the parking lot and sort of smoke into the late hours and into the night. One day, Laura was doing this at around 2am and Laura texts my mum that there's been an incident. My mum tells me and my sister that we tend to stay up pretty late and we went to the balcony to see what was up. In the parking lot, we see a car that's halfway backed into another parked car, but almost at a side angle. Hard to explain, but I hope you get it. Laura says that the person who was in the car ran away as soon as they hit the other car. The car, however, remained. Still running, too. So, we're wondering what the hell this was all about. My mum goes downstairs to the car to check for damage when she sees a figure standing at Susan's building. It was a man that we'd never seen before and he was just standing there. Turns out the owner of the sideways car freaked out because he saw us looking and claims literally someone stole it and moved it out of the way so that they could have my parking spot. The next morning, my mum texts Susan about the incident as the sideways car was kind of blocking her. She says that she knows what happened and has us come outside so that she could tell us. She's standing with the man from the parking lot the night before. He introduced himself as Eric and that he's seeing Susan. When we start talking, it turns out that he didn't actually know what had happened. He only saw someone running from the car, but that story's irrelevant now. We get to talking though and apparently Susan had told him about our family and that I'm studying to be a therapist. I confirm it and he just lights up. He goes on and on about all the similar work that he's done and thanks me for my service. He starts giving me names of places that I can go for shadowing hours and resources for getting a job. And finally, he tells me to use his name when applying for jobs in the future. And he'd get me a job at the psych center that he apparently helped found. Which I looked up and I could never corroborate. He was very interested though that I use his name. Next he talks to my sister, Susan had told him that she likes movies so he told her that he had a small speaking role in one of those teen book to film adaptions that we used to obsess over. So of course when we go home we look up his name that he gave us along with the movie title and where is he pictured in the film or given any sort of credit for it. So we dropped the movie title and we just looked up his name. And it wasn't a movie that we found. No, apparently he had been infamous in our town for years as someone known as the Child Biter. He had earned the name by biting an eight-year-old girl who was playing with her dad. A few years later, he bites another girl and apparently stalked her family in a public parking lot afterwards. Another few years pass and he had a third victim. But we're freaking out and we text Laura who's kind of a gossip buddy anyway she has two young kids so she's furious that this guy with actual criminal records was allowed to move in though he wasn't put on the lease we were concerned too because a lot of the kids live in ours in susan's building and the question came up as to whether to tell susan or not we debated but decided it was the best thing in the end my mom sent susan a long text about how we discovered what we did and five minutes later she calls us she tells us not to believe the news articles and the court records and the fact that he pled guilty because he was politically framed by one of the girl's fathers who was running for some small office or something. My mum covers for me and my sister by saying that we looked up his name, the movie that he was allegedly featured in, in front of Laura. Susan demands to know why Laura is concerned and my mum tells her to talk to Laura herself, so she does so she knocks on Laura's door and asks what her concerns are. Laura barely gets one sentence about how there are kids everywhere and she's trying to be a good parent before Susan turns around and just leaves just like that. Now there are a few families whose kids that I babysit who pretty much let their kids wander the complex all day with no supervision unless I'm outside then it's free babysitting apparently. We tell some of them and they're pretty much enraged. And for two days, there's not a single kid outside. After that, I guess the parents decided actually looking after their kids was too much work and gradually let them play outside again alone. A few days later, an eight-year-old girl that we babysit, Maddie, and this poor kid honestly has the worst history with getting attention from creepy men. I think that they pick up on her terrible home life or something. And her friend ran up to us to tell us about a nice guy at the pool who gave them Eminet. M&M. A few minutes later, Eric strolls up with his bathing suit and Maddie tells us that it was him. We avoid eye contact, but he slows when he passes us. We warn Maddie and her friend in eight-year-old terms to stay away from him. Another time we're visiting a friend who lives in this building and he emerges right as we enter the hallway. He puts on a huge grin and starts making small talk. We sort of awkwardly excuse ourselves and go to the friend's house. We go inside and our friend keeps looking at the window and there's Eric, standing by his car just staring through the window. Part of our babysitting includes picking Maddie up from the bus randomly in the week when we were asked. The bus stop is right next to the pool and who do we see in a lounge chair with sunglasses, not doing a thing every single day at the bus time? Eric. Now we're all kind of angry with this dude and we contact the property manager who says that she can't do anything because he's not registered as living there. If he stays longer than two weeks though that he'll be charged for not being on it. And well the two weeks ended and then after that we just never really saw him again. I'm still stumped as to why he told me to use his name as a reference when a simple search of his name shows all of his history. Again, I lived in a nice area in a small suburban town, no idea what it was about these apartments that attracted the weirdos and the criminals. Maybe it's some unspoken agreement for them to gather together there that we just didn't know about. This story happened to my grandmother and truth be told, it was during their life before she and my mum moved out from their home village. she experienced quite a few strange things there and this is one of them so my grandmother lived in a small village like i said and was working as a postwoman her job allowed her to meet and talk with old people at the time who told her some spooky and supposedly true stories about the area or people living there and whatnot being a postwoman also meant that she had to travel quite a bit to deliver mail as there were fields forests and some people lived further from the center of the village during spring, summer, and autumn when the roads were pretty good she used her bike mostly and when it was winter or very muddy she took her horse with a wagon. This happened in the winter or late autumn because she took a horse and as I mentioned some people lived quite far away so she had to cross a forest in order to deliver some mail. As she was going back she took another route in the forest and somehow she just ended up going in circles Now, let me say this too, that this was a forest that she travelled numerous times and never got lost before. I mean, it was literally a straight shot in and a straight shot out and was pretty difficult to get lost. But for some reason she recalled that old folks told her a story once that there was a mansion there that sank into the ground instantly during a wedding feast and only a priest managed to escape and everybody else went to the ground with the house. Supposedly years passed and Forrest took over the place, but somehow it always remained sort of sinister after that. My grandmother figured that this must be the same place because she'd heard that whoever walks into this territory ends up going in circles. And she spent a good half of the day trying to just get out of there, but no matter where she turned, she ended up just going in circles. Round and round she went without being able to escape... And then as she got really tired she just gave up and spoke to a horse she asked him to take her home and release the reins thus giving her horse total control and freedom and that horse brought her home and it turns out that she spent a good eight hours in there because it was already night when she returned to this day as well she really can't explain what happened there Like I said, that accident occurred after years of work. She was born in that village, so she knew the place like the back of her hand. And how she spent eight hours in that forest, unable to escape, is honestly beyond her. Fall 2017 I was 18 and starting my freshman year at a huge university, eight hours away from my home. Quite a lot was going on in my life as this was the first time ever moving cities and my first time living parent-free after 18 years of living with limited independence in a strict household. I was going through all of the wacky cultural shock and mental and emotional challenges most college freshmen go through within the first few days of moving into campus and this was my very first day of classes. So after my last class which was pretty late and ended around 5.30pm and I stopped by a food court to pick up something to eat. I was too hungry to wait to get back to my dorm so I sat alone at a bench in a courtyard between two buildings and started eating. And yes, I know walking and eating alone was probably a pretty stupid idea but I was naive and figured that at a huge college campus I would only be surrounded by other lost and confused students just like me. I also had no friends since I moved into this city or school not knowing a single person and my raging social anxiety made me hesitant to try meeting new people. But anyways, I was alone on a bench eating my food when an odd-looking couple approached me, a tall, muscular bald man and a petite Latina Asian-looking woman with glasses and Bob-style haircut who was holding a few books. The man was completely silent, but the woman enthusiastically approached me, introducing herself as Carmen in a sort of ambiguous accent. She didn't even introduce the man and he just kind of stood there silently. She started asking me stuff like my name, year, where I was from, what I was majoring in, before telling me that she was from a bible study group here in the city that a lot of college students find interest in. She opened a bible and started reading me some random passage before explaining it and continued to talk more and more about this group. She asked if I'd be interested and I quickly shot her down by explaining that I had no time in my schedule with my classes. I took my phone out of my pocket to check the time. She had been lecturing me for about 20 minutes at this point And I made some weird ridiculous lie that I can't remember about how I had to leave immediately. She then snatched my phone from me and was like, ''Wait, before you leave I'm going to give you my contact information so you can let me know later if you're still interested.'' and proceeded to put a number in my contacts. As I said, I was deep in culture shock of the whole brand new college freshman experience. I was terribly shy and I didn't have the confidence to be assertive in this kind of situation. So, I just let her do her thing and she gave me my phone back and I headed back to my dorm. But When I approached my dorm, I realized that I didn't have my keys or wallet even though I swore I was holding them at the time that the couple had approached me. I frantically ran back to the bench area and searched it thoroughly, went through my backpack, went through the nearby trash can, and nothing. I couldn't get into my dorm without my keys or ID, so I just crumbled to the ground crying and I called my dad in a panic. This was my first time ever losing my keys or wallet in public, days after moving to a new city, and for an insecure 18-year-old, it felt like my life was practically over. My dad could only do so much from 8 hours away, so he instructed me to call the campus police. I did, and an officer arrived and asked me for details of where I was, what my things looked like, and all that stuff. I didn't mention the odd bible study couple to him at all because in such a panic I didn't think to consider that they might have had an involvement or any way of reaching my things out of my backpack. I still feel very incredibly stupid for not providing this detail but the officer gave me temporary dorm access and instructed me to contact the PD daily to check if any missing items turned up. I was overcome with relief when I finally received an email two or three days later from an RA in a dorm halfway across campus saying that my keys and my wallet were turned in to their lost and found. I never did see that couple around campus again. I avoided going places alone other than class and a few months later I was scrolling through social media to see multiple posts about an ongoing sex trafficking ring in the area that would target college students by introducing themselves as Bible study groups. My stomach instantly dropped. It sounded way too similar to the couple that approached me before my belongings mysteriously just disappeared. Three years later, and I still feel like an utter and complete idiot for being more freaked out over my missing things, more than the encounter of these two strangers who potentially were predators.